Hi everybody, Weston here. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Meets Queer. School is a time of searching, of growth. It's a time when a lot of people, young people in particular, are figuring out who they are. Developmentally speaking, people grow into their adult identities gradually and at different times. It's just as normal for someone to come into their sexuality at 13 as it is at 23. For queer people, this process of growing and becoming your adult self is often delayed. Queer identities are suppressed, if not overtly discouraged. For a lot of young people, being queer hardly even seems like an option. Schools are also not typically places where queer people feel the safest. Being queer in the classroom often means being closeted. Particularly in middle school and high school, it's hard to know how honest you can really be with your classmates or your teachers. Every young person feels alone sometimes, but for queers, this feeling is underscored by the undeniable fact that you exist as a minority, often an invisible minority. And yet, and I find this truly amazing, even closeted queers, even queers who might not yet know that they are queer, have a tendency to find each other. It was incredible how, in the five years after graduating high school, many of my closest friends came out one by one. We had formed a queer community even then, before any of us were out, before some of us were even self-aware of our own queer identities. We've got two stories for you today about queers meeting queers in the classroom. These stories have two things in common. First, they both have at least one person who at the beginning of the relationship wasn't out or wasn't self-aware of their queer identity. Second, they both are friendships between a male-bodied person and a female-bodied person. First up, we hear from LB and Keela. LB and Kayla met in 8th grade and became friends in a large part due to LB's relentless persistence. Over the years, they've helped each other through trauma, listened to each other, give voice to their dreams, and watched each other grow up. So, um, me and Lawrence met in 8th grade at Woodlake Middle School. I was a new student. Um, it was my first year there. He had been there since the sixth and seventh grade. We met in Miss Martinez's history class, and I was taking a nap with my head down. And Lawrence was sitting to my—he was sitting to my right side, I believe. And yes, he was sitting to my right, and I popped my head up from my nap, and there he was with this big old smile on his face. And his first words to me were like, "You were knocked out, right?" And I just look at him, and I'm already just over it. I look at him and I tell him that basically I'm not looking for no friends. Let me quote you. He said, look, I'm not here to make friends. All I got me and my cousin, and that's all I need. <laughs> no lie. That's exactly what I said. And then I put my head back down. And that is how we, that's how we met. <laughs> oh, man. What was your school like? So I don't, so in like around 2003, the, the Spurs, the San Antonio Spurs and the L.A. Lakers, um, were beefing hard, and it was almost like a gang. 
And so at our school, the tension got so bad that um, they banned jerseys. I realize the hood aspect. Like, I say that more for high school. Like, it is specifically my high school, Judson. Because I remember, there's a story I tell, a true story. When a fight would break out, everybody would, you know, they circle around, they're like, fight, fight, fight. But at my school, they would circle around and everybody links arms. That way that the school cops or whatever could not penetrate the circle. <laughs> and it will allow people to fight. That was more of a, an experience for me in high school than it was necessarily in middle school. <laughs> Another story I like to tell, though, our second meeting. So, homeroom was the first time. And then I got a schedule change early in the school year into uh, the same math class that Keela had, Miss Lipinski. Shout out. She's the reason I got my last whooping from my father. <laughs> um, so, I, I got a schedule change. Keela was really truly uninterested in, in being friends with me and I, I come into the class class has already started and the teacher's like all right we got a new student you know sit wherever there's an open seat the chairs were put into like pods of four and Keela had an empty uh seat at her at her pub and she's looking across the room and she's like no she's shaking <laughs> her head like don't sit here, don't sit here. <laughs> and I showed up go straight up and I sit down with her and there was a, a student teacher, or eight, a, a, a second teacher in there. Um, it was this older black man. He was had balding head, balding hair. And me being new, didn't know his name. And I was like, "What's that teacher's name?" And she was like, "Mr. Baldwin." Straight up, <laughs> straight face, everything. So I raised my hand and I'm like, "Excuse me, Mr. Baldwin." <laughs> he lost it. And, and that was that. <laughs> Mr. Plinsky emailed my teacher and said I was disruptive in class. <laughs> but the teacher had to move us because all we did was laugh when we were near each other. They, she separated us. And the only configuration that she found that worked was we were in the same row. The desk were in rows. She was at the very front and I was at the very back. <laughs> that way we could not talk or at least one of us had to. Like it would be clear if we were trying to talk to one another. Yeah. So I gotta know how did you how did you win her over? Because it's clear she really didn't want to be your friend. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I do not know how. Straight up persistence and and never accepting no is an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it too. And if I'm being honest, I think like I did want friends. I was just so Lawrence didn't know this, but that was my fifth middle school, right? Like so, I had went to three different middle schools in the sixth grade. One in the seventh grade, and so by the eighth grade, a bitch was tired, and so, <laughs> and so I think I just was like, I was like, man, I'm done making friends, I'm done making friends. But the truth was, it's like I, I wanted friends, and then Lawrence was so persistent. He's always been that persistent too. Like that hasn't changed. Um, he was so persistent that it was like, all right, fine, like <laughs> let's be friends. But we actually weren't friends. We ended up dating. We were boyfriend and girlfriend for for um, a good portion of our eighth grade year. That is true. So we dated. That, that was my way in. <laughs> what yeah. was your like romantic relationship like? Literally 13. <laughs> 13, 13 year old hormonal, you know, undeveloped prefrontal cortex like kids, I think. Um, but we would literally meet up like little thotty teeny boppers at the club, at the teen clubs. And yep, so, yeah. And so <laughs> we would just, we would just, we would meet up at the clubs and then at 16 I started driving and then it was like intentional, like we got to see each other 
that's when we, I guess, there was some sexual chemistry, and I lost my virginity to Kiva, to be fully, uh, a full disclosure. <laughs> and uh, so it was <laughs> toxic, I guess, when my computer was being used. Okay, can you explain what I mean when I say toxic? So the last time me and Lance had sex, we were 19. So it was a long time ago. Like, what are we, 30 now? It was, we were 19 years old the last time me and him had sex. And so at, like, 18, 19, I think we're trying to figure out our feelings because we know that there's a connection there. But I think, and, and there was, like, maybe sexual chemistry. But I think at, like, 16, 17, 18, 19, I think we didn't know what the fuck it was. And so I think we, we lacked the community. We lacked the capacity and the communication and so we were always like arguing or like every single time we travel together I tell I tell people me and Lawrence always have a big argument. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. But I also honestly feel like since moving here though, that we finally broke that curse. Right, no, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't until you you moved up here where I think we um we finally really started meeting each other where we like where we were at and just being open and honest. And so we connected when we were young and so if you long term friendships I believe that all of them need a hard reset because a lot of times we're still holding that person um, in in the past. Like we're still treating them like that person when we were young and not like the person that they are now. And so when Lawrence moved up to Portland, um, our friendship had, we had a hard, we had to do a hard reset. And so like when I think about the romantic part or like the younger parts of our uh, relationship, I would say it maybe not toxic, but it was definitely like, um, there were some unhealthy patterns that we needed to, to, to change. Right. And I want to say something that came up for me earlier and even now with what you're talking about. I honestly feel like in some ways we, we trauma bonded in a way. Things were happening, traumatic things were happening to us before we, we could even register it as such. I absolutely think so too. I think that girl that you met that first day of class that was like, nah, I don't want no friends. I think she was heartbroken and I think she was lonely and I think she was angry. And I think that she was tired of being vulnerable and being moved up, moved around every single time she connected with people. And so she was trying to save herself from the hurt, even though I think she desperately wanted friends. So what has your friendship with LB taught you about yourself? I think it's taught me to be kinder. Um, Like I said, Lawrence has always chosen me. I think our friendship has taught me to give more grace and compassion to the people that love me the most or, you know, that choose me um, intentionally. I think that Lawrence has taught me um, what it means to put in the work of a friendship. Like, people are so invested in romantic partnerships that they neglect their friendships and they don't hold them to the same sort of reverence in the guard. And I think that Lawrence, my relationship with Lawrence has taught me that, like, you invest in your friendships the same way you invest in your romantic ones. He teaches me love. He teaches me kindness. He teaches me patience just by way of our conflict. And he teaches me forgiveness, too. And actually, I don't think I've ever even told him that. No, but the, every time you say he chooses me, literally, I have to hold back tears because I, I don't know if it was, oh, God damn it. Um, I don't know if it was Father's Day or your birthday or my birthday. It was something that happened and... and you had said that that was the realization that you know of all the, the men in your life or the, the the male figures in your life i'm the, the only one that has always chosen you as and it just it just it, it brings me to tears every time so 
It was actually on your birthday, Lawrence. Unfortunately, I come from a history of a lot of, like, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of physical abuse, sexual abuse. And unfortunately, it's been by at the hands of the men who have been closest to me. And when I think about, like, uh, my relationship to black men um, and the black men that have shown up in my life, Lawrence has been someone who has always respected and loved me and valued me in ways that I don't think I got when I was a child. And I called him on, I think, his 29th birthday, and I thanked him for that. Okay, I am sorry. I'm just LB, do you want to talk about something that you've, like, learned from your friendship with Keela? So there was a, a, a thing that happened, and uh, Keela was, was like, you know, this is the first time that you experienced true solidarity from people. And, like, in a true reflection, I know that I experienced that from her. Like, just, I'm a very independent person and don't like to depend on nobody and um, but I, of course, in the back of my mind, I just want somebody to, uh, to stand up for me or to care, or, and, uh, Keela's always done that. Then I think also vulnerability, um, I learned that from her, and I'm able to, to experience that feeling with her, and I think that for the longest time, it was only because of her. Oh my God, I don't know if I can get through it all, but, uh, yeah, I would say solidarity and vulnerability. Yeah, just true vulnerability, true hard work. I think that she's always like pushed me to be better and um, encouraged me to be better. Better, and it's just it's just what I appreciate, what I love, mm -hmm. what I know, and uh, I'm just grateful. For it. Also, and yeah, I do pride. Like when she got accepted to uh, her PhD program, I was both crying. And the reason that's a it, huge deal. It was a huge deal, but honestly, so. We were there, uh, this is so much that we glossed over, but like when I say that we trauma bonded, we just there were so many major moments and major decisions that were made with each other. I went into the Navy, but we actually were going, we, we went through the physical and the, the pre process together, and then this one's allergic to bees and, and got disqualified <laughs> and hit them back down. But like college like we talked about our college like we met at 13 and then we went through high school we talked about colleges and then we talked about the military and then we talked about you know grad programs and then we talked about but when we were in um middle school she was said that uh they wanted to be a, a, a sex doctor and and i think it's wild because at the time we thought that they were going to be some OBGYN, and then they got into undergrad and they were uh, a biology major and they failed organic chemistry 15 times and decided <laughs> that um, that was not for them anymore. <laughs> and, 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 and then they changed to sociology. <laughs> um, but anyways, they said, I want to be a sex doctor. And then they got into, you know, this gender women's sexuality studies. And it was them becoming, it was them literally doing exactly what they said at 13 when we didn't know shit. And it was just great to have been able to witness that, like witness that work and witness that struggle and witness that, you know, tenacity to know, you know, what they went through and to where they're going. And so I revel in that because that's my best friend and I feel like I was there, you know, um, I just was able to witness it. So I knew what it takes and, and I don't, I don't, I, I think it's something to be celebrated. You know, it's funny that you're doing that up because I was, I was thinking of that too. So when I got accepted into the program, 
um, I'll never forget, it was on Valentine's Day, and I was having a hard day, and I was listening to Tupac, Keep Your Head Up. Um, and I got the email. Maybe the, he's like the second maybe person I call, and he, he starts crying. And I, he's, a, he's the only one um, out of all the people that I called that cried. Not to say that everybody else wasn't excited for me, but Lawrence, is, it's almost like he gave me more permission because he cried for me. He gave me more permission to be to be more proud of myself. It was like I was excited, but I hadn't really thought about the work, you know, and the manifesting that it took to come here, you know. Mm-hmm. When me and Lawrence were 13, you know, we were right. I still have letters that we wrote to each other. Lawrence doesn't have his, but I still have our letters. <laughs> and and we, um, we, we, we both said we wanted to be lawyers, and we were going to call it, we were going to be married, and so we are going to call it Bennett and Bennett Law Firm. And so, you know, we... <laughs> We would sit, we would talk about like these dreams of ours, and I did tell he was one of the few people that I told that I wanted to be a sex doctor, and I didn't even make that connection when I got accepted into the program. He made it, and I was just thinking about the power of what it means to speak, like to to speak of the power of your words, and I was like, you know, thinking about him reminding me of that. It's like I. I really did, like me and him did talk about our hopes and our dreams together and what we wanted. We, you know, not only in our letters, but we would spend hours on the phone talking about like what we wanted our future to look like. Um, and so when he cried, like, you know, him crying for me, um, I, it's even in that moment or even now when I look back at that, it's just something that I'm like this, this guy, Lawrence has always been one of my biggest cheerleaders, my bachelors, my masters. Um, I know when I get my PhD, like he'll be in there like, arms in the fucking air like just my <laughs> biggest <laughs> cheerleader. <laughs> okay, Keith, I have three questions, but I'm gonna let you choose which one you want. Alright. Okay. One is Ushi. Okay. <laughs> one is uh if you could have something of mine, what would it be and why? Question number two is What's something you'd like me to forgive you for that I'm not aware of? And then question number three is, when was the last time I pissed you off? And how do you feel about it? <laughs> Those are good questions. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I, I think the second one, something I'd like you to forgive me for. Okay. Um, I think that I, I like I know we've talked about it before, and then we said we were going to talk like we were going to work on it and be different, and I think we have. But one of the things that I wish we did more was like where I, I can see how affectionate you are, and we, I know we talked about this. I can see how affectionate you are with your um, with other with other like friends in your life, and I wish that I, um, I think that I was, and I'm continuing with this shit now. But I think that I'm passive aggressive, and I think I have a smart ass mouth. <laughs> and I think, and I think that um, because you've been around the longest, I think you've had to bear the brunt of that, uh, a lot, like or a lot of it. Like I think that I can be mean, and um, and it's because I don't know how to communicate. I'm learning. I did because I didn't know how. I say past tense because I don't do it anymore. But I didn't know how to talk about my like my own hurt feelings, and so I. I think I, well, I would like you to forgive me for um, all the times I, I, I disrespected you publicly, um, all the times I, I snapped at you and you didn't know why, um, all the times where you needed grace and I, and I didn't give it to you. Um, I, think, 
I think that happens so many times that um, I can't even pinpoint, but I can think of multiple trips that we've taken, you know, um, where I was, I just wasn't nice. And I just want, um, I want forgiveness for that. You forgive me, I love you. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the words, I appreciate the honesty, and I forgive you. LB and Keila's story got us thinking about boundaries and divides within the queer community. The queer community is often segregated along identity lines, with members of the LGBTQ community mostly sticking with their own kind. This got us thinking a lot about inclusion and exclusion in the queer community. Um, one, this is, I think, the most difficult thing to talk about um, as part of this episode, but it's just something that I've been thinking about a lot for the last like year, honestly, is sort of, and I really only have an experience of this in Portland, because Portland's the only queer community I've ever been a part of, but this like really segregated queer community that is in Portland, and it's segregated across so many different lines, um, and those lines can get really minute. They can be down to like whether or not you have body hair or not. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's clicks. Uh -huh. And it is, it's very, it can be very clicky. And um, two of the relationship stories we're telling in this episode are relationships between people who are, are bridging divides between like different queer factions. And I think that's really cool. Well, it's funny that you yeah. bring this up actually. Uh, well, I mean, this might be just a little Portland citric. I don't know how much this will uh, translate to other areas, but I often talk with my friends about this idea of inclusivity versus exclusivity. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the area, like in this area, folks consider themselves very progressive. And so it's easy to be like, oh, I'm so inclusive. But then you spend any time around like the queer community and you quickly realize absolutely not. It's the exact opposite. It's the most exclusive area actually I think I've seen in anywhere you know like in California I could be around my, my straight friends my bi friends my pan friends like we could do all these different things together but out here and I don't know again I, I don't know if it's a Portland thing or whatever but it's it does seem to be much more exclusive and divided in that way it's just to me this is like such a white people thing like I don't <laughs> I where the queer community that I come from in the Midwest is one very much of like we're all we got I don't give a shit. Like, if you're not straight and cis, or even if, like, you're just not straight, <laughs> you know? If you are one thing, yeah, one step yeah, yeah, yeah. away. It's, like, it's just like, if you, are not a, if you are not a cisgender straight person, you are here. Like, you're in it. There's one gay bar in an alley. Like, that's, <laughs> it, it, seriously, that's, what, that's the only thing we yeah. have. And then you come here, and you're like, look at all these opportunities that have opened for me. But what happens is it's almost like a class system kind of thing. And and it's super frustrating because Portland, out to an outsider's perspective, Portland is like this melting pot of everyone has a bunch of different friends from a bunch of di different places. And it's just not true. If you branch out of your group, a lot of times you're fucking shamed for it. And that is shitty. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I, like I also like think about this concept of a, a homogenous culture, you know. And you look at the demographics of this area, and it's very homogenous. And I think that that's what breeds these things, where it's like, 
I'm expecting, growing, if I'm a person who lived here my entire life, I grew up in an area where it's like, everyone on my street probably looks just like me. We probably came from the same socioeconomic background. And so when you see anything that deviates from that, it's like, oh my gosh, now I have to get back to my paradigm. You know, and I think that that's what kind of is one of the catalysts that creates these, these boundaries. Mm -hmm. yeah. When I was in high school, I had a group of queer friends and neither one, not, neither, none of us were out really at that point, but after we left high school, it kind of became like we each one of us sort of one by one came out and it turned out we were all just queer and together <laughs> and friendship. we had found each other in high school, yeah, you know? Same. And I had a really, like, I, I had... I, I had really, really meaningful and viable friendships with, um, with like queer women, and in Portland I do not. Mm -hmm. And there's not only that, but like meeting queer women in Portland is not something that just happens. Like I, I don't. I, I'm trying to understand why I can't go to a queer space anywhere in Portland and like find more than like one or two queer women there. See, I have that exact same experience, but as a queer female-bodied person. Mm -hmm. I, I love CC Slaughters. Mm -hmm. I love going there. I love dancing. I love drag so much. And I don't go there anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's because I walk in and queer male-presenting, male-identifying people are so mean to me in there. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. there's an unbelievable amount of misogyny in It's incredible. That's it's so upsetting. It's yeah. so upsetting. It's, in some it's ways ridiculous. it's like I've heard I've heard some critical commentators call like queer men like the perfect misogynistic culture mm -hmm. because they don't I mean, And it's and it's all god there's like so much to unpack with that because yeah. then you talk <laughs> about like femininity within queer men and how it's presented and yeah. like mm -hmm. Oh my god, Appropriation and the culture stealing, exactly! Uh -huh. Exactly, yeah. it's uh. unreal. God. We were just talking about sort of like the lack of inclusion, particularly of like female-bodied or, or, or women, female, women, queer women mm -hmm. in, um, in queer spaces in Portland and how they're often not welcome. But I find that like these two relationships that are between like a, a, a queer male body person and a queer female body person there's so much strength in their relationship and I have also felt that myself with like a really good friend I have from, from college who is um, a self-identifying dyke and um, gotta reclaim it, gotta I, just, reclaim it. Yeah. I just miss it I just like I miss her and I miss having that kind of relationship in my life and listening to these stories just made me realize like what a really important and like special bond that is to have sort of like queer solidarity between mm -hmm. people who don't actually share like identical queer identities. Yeah, WLLW, MLM, yeah. solidarity. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my brother's queer and as soon as he came out, it was like best friends. That's exactly right. what happened with my right. sister. Yeah, right. it's yeah. And, and like, and some the, the male bodied or male identifying queer people I know, some of those relationships are like the, the strongest or they are the longest. It's so funny you say that because exactly like what I was thinking is this is like a topic that I've thought of um, quite often actually is that the big difference with like queer people versus like other disenfranchised populations is that we're not necessarily connected with like our family, right? So if I talk about race, it's like, okay, my entire family experiences the same type of experience. But as queer people, we might be the only person, we might be siloed in that, siloed in that way. And I think that that's part of what kind of propagates this division that happens is that we weren't 
embedded with like you know mm -hmm. yes I am a black person but I know that through just being a black person in my own family that mm -hmm. like we all experience this differently mm -hmm. you know and we can connect and we can you know kind of get that broader picture of things within that context but queer people don't necessarily have it yeah, yeah. and like sexuality and identity is not always something that you can just see right away and uh, I think that a lot of times, like, I'll have a friend who, I had a friend not too long ago who told me she was queer and I didn't know it at all. And I was like, so happy because I know, I know, like, on a certain level, we're going to understand each other in this really deep rooted way that, like, you, you can't see that, you know? Like, it, 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 it's just, yeah, I don't know. No, no, I, uh, no it's one of those that, things yeah. where you're just like, oh, I buy that, but yeah. I don't actually have any words for it. Yeah, it's just I like, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I also, so true. I know that when I came to Portland, I am definitely the only like queer person in my family, um, and I didn't really have a queer community anywhere in the world until I came to Portland. And when I finally sort of like found queer friends who were like primarily um, like male-bodied, male-identifying gay guys in Portland, I was so hungry to share experiences and space with people who understood me because I'd never, I'd never been in a household before where I could walk in and every single person there right. knew who I was mm -hmm. yeah. without yeah. even me having to like explain it to them. And that was such like a powerful healing experience for me. And now, like, five years later after entering the, you know, Portland, like, queer community and realizing that, like, everything we've been saying, like, there's so much segregation and there's so much division and there's so much misogyny and, like, there's not, there's exclusivity, there's not inclusivity and um, there's so much about, like, this group of friends that I have who I love so, so much and who, like, brought so much joy and love into my life that is also, like, limiting so i think and that's oh sorry go, no, ahead. go ahead i think that i think that is the trap that we have to be very mindful of when mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. come from a place that is very limiting for us and our identities and our sexualities and we move to a place that is very opening and accepting and welcoming naturally you are going to gravitate toward the people who are most similar to you which makes total sense because mm -hmm. that is what you feel safest with but you have to not get comfortable with that and you have to be willing to okay you know you have to identify when you feel safe and when you are ready to start like diversifying your friend group because I like I totally understand you can come here it's very overwhelming you gravitate toward your safety people you build up those relationships you discover yourself but you have to progress that yeah further. you, you that got is to, the lesson mm -hmm. that is the lesson mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and like you've, you've got to really be willing to look inward and confront your own biases mm -hmm. with yeah. that. Mm -hmm. LB and Kila are an example of the strength and power of relationships that bridge these gaps. When we hear from Edward and M in our next story, we'll see another example of queer solidarity and love between two people who don't share the same queer identities. A note about this story, we recorded it in a sort of busy park where there were a lot of people playing with their dogs. And so you can hear the tinkle of like callers running past us and you can hear owners shouting commands to their dogs and 
Um, it's all pretty cute, if you ask me. M and E met in their freshman college chemistry class and became inseparable. Throughout their friendship, M grew into her queerness, they moved in together, ran through the gauntlet of college, and then entered post-college life. He just like asked me to be his partner. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first day, like I like came to read so like not confrontational at all. And so like we're in lab, in chemistry lab, and he's like asking this person, like, can you move your stuff? Like we're working here. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, who is this person? Like they are so confrontational. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, I was, was like scared almost. <laughs> but it was great, yeah. So we were in every class together and he had asked me to be his um, lab partner. You were in every class together? <laughs> I mean, it was just like intro classes. Yeah, so. but like we also were in each lab component. I know, as well. Each, like section. And conference wow. section. So it was what like, are the odds? Yeah. <clears throat> I asked her, I'm like, do you think we would have been friends if we didn't have like every section? But we have other similarities yeah. and interests. So. But yeah, it was like a blessing. So it started with chemistry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What Literally. next? Yeah. <laughs> uh, joke. <laughs> <laughs> what next? We had biology and humanities yeah. together. We, we were at the, had bio lab at the same time, but mm -hmm. she was in the other room. Yeah, that's But true. I would like come over all the time. Yeah, and, and we'd like, like eat snacks together. <laughs> I feel like we just like hit it off. Like I feel like I met him and I was like, this guy just gets it. Um, I just feel like we have similar, like, interests and values. Yeah. I was, like, really into trees and, like, the outdoors my freshman yeah. year, which I'm not now. Not anymore. <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, like, my freshman year, that's what I, like, thought I was really into, mm -hmm. like, coming from Ohio, moving to Oregon. So, and, like, Edward is, like, a plant genius. <laughs> yeah, I've never changed. I've, <laughs> since the day I was born, yeah. I've always been obsessed with plants but yeah Miriam has all had all these phases yeah who initiated the first like outside of class let's do something not school related Edward was like you I don't know if you remember this but he was like I'm baking chocolate chip cookies do you want to come over and I was like that's kind of weird like, <laughs> Did you come over with Emma? I did. Yeah. I, like, so, like, um, I, like, said, like, oh, maybe. And then I was, like, telling my other friends, I was, like, oh, what should we do tonight? Like, I have nothing to do. And they are like, uh. And I was, like, someone, like, invited me over to make chocolate chip cookies. Like, <laughs> I guess we could do that. <laughs> like, obviously, my second choice, honestly. Obviously. We ended up going chocolate to... Chocolate chip cookies are her favorite. They cookies, are now so. because of him. They weren't wow. before. I love that. No. Oh. But wow. your chocolate chip cookies are so good. I didn't know that. Yeah. But freshman year, I was really into baking. Yeah. And I would, like, bake something every week. And I think we're both just, like, kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I feel That's like... That's the main thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just spend a lot of time together. And then we lived together junior and senior year. Yeah. Like, for real. <laughs> and I feel like living together brought us closer together. Mm -hmm. We, like, went on a road trip after college, like, down to California. And then also back up from Phoenix, two separate road trips. Yeah. And, like, 
I feel like if I were as anyone else on that road trip, like we spent like what eight to 12 days mm-hmm. like constantly with each other in a small space i would have been so annoyed with anyone yeah, else like camping and driving yeah. together and we were a little annoyed yeah that's true <laughs> not as much as with other people yeah call out i was annoyed with how much he talked about plants i was yeah. like i literally can't At the hear anything about plants anymore like shut <laughs> up i was like oh my god oh my the god. drama i can't believe she hates plants <laughs> <laughs> We're an old married couple. Yeah, we are an old married couple. (laughs) I'm curious what the queer community at Reed was like. That's a good question. We probably don't know the answer to. Yeah, I feel like we were kind of... Well, I, like, wasn't out until maybe junior year or sophomore Mm -hmm. year. And so, like, when we became friends, it was, like, Edward just friends with another straight girl. Yeah, I was like, why are all my friends straight? Yeah. (laughs) He was, like, upset freshman year. He's like, all my friends are straight. Like, it's really weird. <laughs> and then steadily, like, we've realized yeah, that, like, all of them, one. one by one, it's like, <laughs> oh, none of us are straight anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. Literally, like, so many of my, well, not so many, like, maybe, like, three of my gay men friends would, like, see Edward and be like, so can you look that up? <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm not his keeper. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I would just be like, oh, what do you think of this person? And he'd, like, know exactly what I was getting at. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) I just know. (laughs) (laughs) He, like, knows exactly when I'm, like, trying to get at something. And I, like, think I'm being all sneaky. So how do you feel like your, how you met and where you met shaped who you are today? Just, like, going through college together, I feel Mm -hmm. like is, it's, like, such a transformative experience. At least it was for me like coming to terms with myself and like just like knowing more about myself and I feel like Edward was like there for a lot of that and helped me grow for a lot of that as well I feel like I wouldn't be like as like open with my feelings if it weren't for Edward me too I feel like I wouldn't be as open without Miriam I don't know we pushed each other and like we're there for each other and I feel like it like made us like more supportive I like we like prove to each other that we could like support each other through like hard things and it's not even just like school just like personal things that happen during college too breakups friend breakups yeah i feel like just going through hardship is how you really bond yeah grow together so yeah (laughs) so do you have a favorite thing about your relationship with each other i don't know we just have fun yeah i think that's the main thing like (laughs) Having fun, like yeah, being ridiculous, yeah, dressing up, yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. We love like matching. Like we're both wearing the same swim trunks, just different colors. <laughs> These, These are, are actually his mine. mine. I love that. <laughs> I love it too. I actually, I've been admiring that shirt this entire time. I love it. Oh it would look excellent on both of you. I'm, yeah. I'm imagining it on Miriam now, and I'm just like, yep, that's awesome. Yeah. I actually bought this shirt because I wanted to like. I was going through like my first like queer phase of like changing my hair and body, and I like saw. A picture of timothy chalamet in like a floral shirt <laughs> and i was like i need that so i like literally went to a hairstylist asked for a timothy chalamet haircut like showed a picture of timothy chalamet it was like <laughs> it was horrible it was, horrible like, <laughs> it was so bad it was like the worst like two years of my life honestly <laughs> with that haircut because <laughs> i kept getting it too <laughs> there were a series of different yeah haircuts. there were, there were 
<laughs> I like once let this woman give me a haircut because she looked like Kristen Stewart and I was like really into Kristen Stewart <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like yeah do whatever you want and she's like I'm thinking like Fleetwood Mac and I'm like I don't know who Fleetwood Mac is <laughs> I'm like yeah do it and I had like the worst haircut of my <laughs> life like it was so bad <laughs> in what ways do you feel we've grown apart in this past year of not living together oh that's a good one yeah I feel like our base friendship is just like understanding and loving each other mm-hmm. and like we'll always be there for each other I think like where we grow apart is just like our interests are just different like I don't like you love plants and I love that you love plants <laughs> but, like, Thank you. <laughs> I feel like you know like I don't know what I want to do with my life but I feel like and you like also will say you don't know what to do with mm-hmm. your life but like you have an idea of like what you like and like your yeah. passions and like I just don't have that and I feel like I'm interested in just like random things so like I feel like our interests aren't mm-hmm. really aligned the yeah. way they used to be um and like our experiences but like I feel like there's always just like that base like he's there for me yeah. and it's not like we ever have something like it's not like we ever run out of things to talk about mm-hmm. that's true yeah just like in college like we were Had, in like, classes all those together and everything together. was like the same but we can still be friends even though we're not <laughs> Experiencing the exact same the person same. yeah <laughs> it's better for us yeah my next question was when do you feel most secure in our friendship probably just like talking and like just having fun and being ridiculous and also just like in the silences and just like being around each other Mm -hmm. and just really feeling each other's presence because I think we both calm each other down and know that the other person is there to support us which is pretty nice to have yeah without judgment Mm -hmm. just like a side note we just went on a backpacking trip after I had a breakup and I like wasn't at the point where I could stop crying myself to sleep so like I was like in this tent with Edward I was just like crying myself to sleep and he was just like patting me I was like yeah I feel very secure here that's incredible (laughs) yeah that's awesome truly that's awesome (laughs) being able to like just I mean it's uncomfortable it was uncomfortable at first but then I was just like okay I guess I have to do this and like if I'm gonna do it I might as well do it with Edward (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's what a good idea to go on a breakup backpacking trip. Yeah. Yeah, really good. It was really great. Like, I couldn't be on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what could I look at? The trees. <laughs> Actually, I'm sick of the trees. <laughs> <laughs> I was just to say, I thought you'd like them. <laughs> she actually knows so many plants now. Nice. <laughs> Unwillingly. Unwillingly. It's been, like, scarred into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> she'll, she'll send me a picture. She's like... Is this a dogwood? I was like, wow, you really just know. <laughs> I just want to flex my skills in yeah. front of you. I'm Incredible. honestly impressed because she knew nothing. Freshman year. Yeah. <laughs> How am I different than you imagined I would be when we first met? We kind of talked about that. That's a good question, though. I feel like I imagined you to be a lot more... When we first met, I thought you were, like, mean. <laughs> so I was like, I imagined you to be, like, a lot more... Just, like have more attitude towards people but you actually are just like super kind and sweet and like I don't know I never think of you as actually having attitude like you don't you're just a very <laughs> kind and sweet loving person occasionally <laughs> someone crosses me someone that's true 
when we're in some spaces i'm like oh my god i can't be with edward right now like please dude like i'm walking away (laughs) most of the time most of the time i'm like not like that could i ask the same question for me yeah yeah, like what? Oh, what did I think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I met you, you were a very different That's person. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't really know what I thought of you. I thought you were shy. Yeah. Um, I've become less shy. What was yeah. it like watching uh, Miriam change over the years? I feel like, I don't know, I was just like trying to support you and understand that th- these are the stages you need to go through to grow as a person. Mm. And I feel like I had a lot of fun <laughs> along all the stages. It's funny because, like, while I'm changing, I, like, don't know that I'm changing, you know? Like, I'm, like, caught up in it. And then, like, you're just, like, this person who's, like, seen it from afar, so, like, detailed. It's, like, such a powerful place to be in, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you could have done so much. <laughs> like, what? I don't know manipulated you. Yeah, but you did it. I mean, maybe I did. <laughs> maybe if you had a chance to manipulate today. me, I would like plants more, okay? <laughs> that's true. Like, if you had any choice, like, I'd be that like, oh yeah, that's sense. a dug fur right there. It is. No, that's a redwood, actually. <laughs> yeah. Which one of our experiences made you love me the most? Hmm... I feel like we did a bake-off together at our college. I feel like we did. (laughs) Well, okay, we did do a (laughs) bake-off together. It was, like, this, like, college bake-off where you, like, had teams and, like, bake stuff. It was very stressful. It was so stressful. (laughs) It was, like, literally the most stressful thing of, like, our whole college career. It was spring (laughs) senior year. We were trying to, like, finish our theses. And, and... like, bake stuff every week. (laughs) I don't know if that was necessarily what made me love you the most, but, like, I feel like that sticks out because it was just Mm -hmm. so stressful and so anxiety-producing, and, like, you were so supportive through that that, like, I felt like after that we could get through anything together, (laughs) you know? Like... How did it, how'd the bake-off go? We won! We We literally got in first place! Oh, my God. That's awesome. It was with, um, one of our other friends that we lived with senior year as well. That was a whole saga <laughs> it's a whole saga but we ended up winning so like yeah we never thought we would though yeah. every step of the way we were like we're why clowns. are we here <laughs> <laughs> we were gonna be like kicked out like this is clownery we were also like over it we were like we don't have time for this <laughs> <laughs> but i think like what draws us together is like how extra we can be mm-hmm. like all the time and i think that's probably what like made us win was yeah. just because like Edward's, like, such a good, like, decorator. He has an eye for things. So, like, all of our tables were, like, elaborately decorated. And we had, like, really extra stories to describe, like, what, like, where all the dishes came from and all these things. So, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of flowers. Everywhere. Plants. <laughs> like, cloths. And yeah. Yeah. All right, that's our show. If you want to hear more from our storyteller, LB, he does drag under the name Lala Benet. You can follow him on Instagram at Lala Benet. Visit our website at queermeetsqueer.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at queermeetsqueer. If you like what we got going on here at Queer Meets Queer, leave us a five-star rating and a review. 
These readings help people find us and make us more discoverable. They also mean the world to us, and it's a totally free way to support us. If you just can't get enough of this queer content, and I know that you can't, sign up for our Patreon to listen to our bonus episode series, Sunday Brunch. Sunday Brunch episodes are super fun and filled with even more stories, extended interviews with our guests, and hilarious hot takes from Nikki, Justin, Seth, and myself. We release new bonus episodes twice a month, and you can get access to them for just $5 a month. Check out patreon.com slash queermeetsqueer for more details. Also, if you have a story to tell, call our storytelling hotline at 503-512-9744 and leave a message. All right, that's all the announcements I have for you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.